You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop their You got Rommel yet? Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, game day time, Florida in Knoxville time, Tennessee, Florida. What's the worst thing that could happen for the Vols time? It always goes great for the Vols time. Whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. West Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio, dropping this this game day episode, uh, usually late, late, late Friday night or right there at midnight on Saturday, depending. Big one. Got got 20th-ranked Florida coming to Neyland Stadium to play the 11th-ranked Vols, 3.30 p.m. Eastern on CBS, which is, of course, uh, we are not required to tell you but should tell you, is the greatest network that's ever been uh, or ever will be. And it's that never has long commercials. Everything's always good. No complaints. Everything, it's just, it's just, it's the best network that's ever been created. We're going to go uh, down a little bit to a different part of town. We haven't named his uh, studio yet there to get to Ben McKee. And we're going to go down to Gainesville uh, to get to uh, one of the, the Florida 24-7 riders, guys at Swamp 24-7. Graham Hall does a great job covering the Gators for us. And I got to ask you, fellas, before we get going, how are we doing? How are we doing? Doing great. Appreciate uh, Graham oh, we're, hopping we're on for us. It's a, a nice top 25 matchup. And Graham, I'm, I'm sure you, you feel as awkward as we do covering a Tennessee-Florida game in which not only is Tennessee ranked higher, but double-digit favorites. I, I don't I don't know what planet I'm on, Graham. Yeah, are you guys making sure that you're careful in what you're saying so that you don't get blamed for any jinxes that occur, right? I mean, the superstition level has to be through the roof right now for the Vols because in this game, since 2015, they've found some incredible ways to squander a a surefire victory in my mind, right? Yeah, it's kind of like when Kentucky plays Tennessee. It's like if you look over the past couple of decades, um, there's no question that Florida should have a winning record over Tennessee because it's had a better football team than Tennessee in a majority of those years. But it, it damn sure shouldn't have been 16 of the past 17. Uh, the record should be different. Just like Kentucky and Tennessee, there are some years where Kentucky, on paper, uh, had a, a better team than Tennessee or had a chance to beat Tennessee in a game it should have it played really well for like 55 minutes. But it did a couple of dumb things that, that cost the game. And then you got Tennessee that does the same thing to Florida, whereas Tennessee, the problem is when they make that mistake against Florida – uh, it gets it just can get ugly sometimes. Like they'll make that one mistake or two mistakes, and then boom, the thing just spirals out of control. But it's weird seeing Tennessee as a double digit favorite in this game. I was telling my, my friend Alan Taylor down there at the at the Athletic that that it, it kind of felt like the first time I saw the word the words Korean barbecue because it's like you see Tennessee minus ten and a half, and it's like Korean barbecue. I know what each of those words mean. I never really put them together. Uh, I, I don't I don't understand. It, what planet am I on here? Uh, it, why, why is Tennessee a double-digit favorite? But let's get started with the questions and ask you that because 
Florida, you could make a decent argument, could be winless right now. Uh, it's not that way, obviously. Uh, it's it's won uh, a couple of couple of uh, games, one really good win against Utah, one uh, not maybe not so good win, and then obviously the the loss to Kentucky. What has what has Florida been this season compared to your expectations? Yeah, I think if a lot of people you told them that they. We're going to see this Florida team sitting there at, at two and one heading into Knoxville. I mean, a lot of people at the outset, I think, would have taken that. I mean, Florida coming off a six and seven record and then opening with maybe the most difficult September slate in all of college football, right? I mean, you have a new coach, and then Utah, the Pac 12 championship, comes into your building. You're facing the best Kentucky team in a long time. And then to wrap up the month after playing a USF team that gave Florida the business, a lot of the game. Now you're playing a Tennessee team that is, is impressive from an offensive standpoint, as I can remember in, in at least a decade, it feels like in my opinion. And then you're, you're talking about Florida sitting there with a winning record going into that game in a rivalry game that has had a lot of parity. I mean, a chance to be three and one if you're Florida. I mean, that has got to say it's exceeded expectations. But when you actually watch those games and you've seen how vastly different Florida's defense has been since losing Ventrell Miller, and you've seen the issues with Anthony Richardson, and there have been a few other things as well, play calling. I think you can absolutely raise the question of that. And even the setup of Florida's coaching staff, even if that's more of a long-term problem here i think that florida fans right now are seeing some of the cracks that they hoped they wouldn't see some of the issues that they were looking would be have totally been erased that despite that two-in-one mark it's hard to feel really really good about their prospects moving forward knowing what they got to get cleaned up here graham i thought florida was going to be one and two coming to neyland stadium uh with with the tough start against kentucky and and utah on back-to-back weeks and and Florida comes out of the gates and <laughs> looks like one of the best teams in America. looks like Anthony Richardson's going to be a Heisman finalist. And we'll, we'll get to Anthony Richardson here in a moment more in depth. But aside from Anthony Richardson, what has been the biggest difference in that Utah win and how terrific Florida looked compared to the last two weeks uh, struggling uh, against Kentucky and, and struggling and, and really kind of getting lucky against USF. I, I know Anthony Richardson played a big role in the difference in the win and in the last two weeks, but aside from AR, what has been the biggest difference between that week one and then the past two performances? It's got to be without a doubt, Ventro Miller. I mean, you go back to that Kentucky game, Florida was really keeping this Wildcats offense, a very good Wildcats offense that, you know, they were missing a few guys and still are with those running backs and a few guys coming back from suspension but they were holding Will Levis in that offense in check through three quarters. And the reason that was even a game in a sense was because of Richardson's pick six and because of that other interception inside the 10 yard line. I mean, just handed Kentucky 14 points, but otherwise Florida is up in that game by more than a touchdown there in the early going, but central Miller exits early in the fourth quarter and Kentucky all of a sudden is able to run the football which opens up the passing attack and really allows it so that the Wildcats can pull away with that game. And the depth at Ventral Miller was something that I think a lot of people knew. Florida just had six 
healthy inside starting linebackers heading into the season, not really a desirable number from a scholarship standpoint. And then two of those guys were experienced guys in, in Miller coming back for a sixth year and Amari Bernie, who can play a variety of positions, including that will linebacker spot. But if Miller were to go down, I think a lot of people realize that Porter would be in some trouble. They'd have to call in some underclassmen guys. And since Miller has left the game, the Gators have given up more than 375 rushing yards the last five quarters, when in the first seven quarters of play, they had held teams under 250 rushing yards. So I think that when you look at the start contract and look at how that is correlated with Miller's exit, you have to say that that is extremely detrimental to Florida's odds especially going up against an offense like this one, if Miller's unable to play, you're going to see, I think, a defense that is much more identical to the one we've seen for the last five quarters that struggled against USF in containing the run and, and stopping. Um, that, I think, extremely overmatched offense. Florida's in some trouble here if Ventral can't go or unless those underclassmen linebackers step up because they have been getting gashed in the five quarters that Ventrell has been unable to play. Yeah, it sounds like Florida's linebacker situation isn't too different from Tennessee's running back situation because Tennessee had five scholarship running backs and then uh, and then had four because Laneith Whitehead went down with that injury, uh, lifting weights there right before the start of camp, and he's out for the year with an upper body injury. So you're down to four. Then they add Lynn J. Dixon from the transfer portal at the last minute. He lasts about 30 seconds, and then he's he's back out the door. Uh, he, he was kind of like uh, the, 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 the Simpsons' grandfather who comes in with the hat and then puts it down and then leaves leaves the room again like that, Jeff. And so they're back to four. And then last week against Akron, they win 63-6, to six, but two of their four healthy scholarship running backs go down with injuries. So we'll, we'll see. And then Cedric Tillman, obviously, uh, he, he got dinged up two or three times in that game, had a, had an ankle, had a knee, uh, and a couple of, you know, one questionable hit. One time he got rolled up on. Uh, so we'll see if he's able to go. I kind of doubt it, but I don't I don't know that for sure as we're recording this. So it just sounds like Florida's depth situation there at linebacker just kind of mirrors what Tennessee's got going on at running back. But what about the defense overall? Is the depth there? Because I've heard, if I were to say that I've asked five people about this, three or four of the five people statistically would say that Florida's defense has serious, serious depth problems. And then maybe you have the other person saying, it's Florida, there's always athletes, they can find a way. W- where do you stand on that? Like, how how bad is their their depth defensively right now? And I ask that because we all know how fast Tennessee goes on offense. Yeah, that's a huge thing because Florida's not going to be able to rotate, I think, at the rate that they would like to rotate guys in on that defense. And that means that there's going to be – either more experienced players out there longer, or they're going to have to rely on some inexperienced guys to play five, six snaps in a row, stuff they normally wouldn't do, I think, in the course of a game, just to keep up with that offense. Um, I I think that, you know, from the inside linebacker standpoint, you absolutely have promising athletes there. The real key is that lack of experience, right? What, how do you quantify how great that lack of experience is for a team playing its first road game in front of 102,000 screaming fans that absolutely hate them. And you're asking on a true freshman linebacker or a redshirt freshman linebacker to be your guy communicating effectively, making the correct calls, confident enough to do that in the moment. You know, that's a tall task when the guy who's used to doing that is a 60 year middle linebacker who's been on campus you know, since 2017. So 
I think that even though Florida does have, to that point, does have athletes that can fill in and are highly regarded ones. I mean, Shamar James is, is no slouch whatsoever. That's going to be a fantastic player at Florida. He was a top 100 prospect by 247 Sports in last year's class, and now he comes in and is already playing, has started the first three games there at one of those linebacker spots next to Ventrell. So you're talking about someone who can bring talent and can replace what is lost with Miller, but how much will that lack of experience matter? I think that's absolutely a question. It's also a question in a couple other positions in this defense. Look at the defensive line. They're going to start Desmond Watson at nose tackle for the first time in his Florida career. That's a guy who weighs over 415 pounds. I love that guy so much. Played as a freshman. I mean, he's fantastic to watch. And and you sit there and you want to think, oh, this is a Vince Wilfork type dude. You know, he just commands a double team. You use him in goal line stands. But then you actually watch him, right? And this guy moves surprisingly well for his size. I mean, you're you're kind of like, it's kind of like watching, you know, a, a ballerina at times. I mean, just the way he moves size, moves his frame for his size is just incredibly impressive. I mean, at that highlight reel run I think everybody has seen by now him bringing Brian Batty to the ground in, in kind of a WWE-esque fashion. I, I think that this is someone who you can start to easily stereotype him by his weight and say, oh, he can't be in there against this Tennessee defense for seven, eight plays in a row. But I think that he is able to do that. Is he able to do it for the entire game? I don't know about that, but he's going to certainly be in there for eight, nine plays at a time, even if he's getting a little bit winded because they're going to need that guy to try and slow down the Tennessee offense. They're going to need every single one of the defensive line, whether it's true freshman Chris McClellan or whether it's Watson or Jerron Dexter, they're going to need an effective pass rush to try and get to the quarterback. And that that means you need to rely on some guys being out there for a long period of time. Graham, I'm, I'm about to throw a lot at you in regards to Anthony Richardson, because I, I think that is a, a fascinating conversation at the moment because of how many side conversations there are with kind of why he has struggled throwing the football the last two weeks. And then also why he isn't running as much week one. So I'll ask you in two parts. First, we'll start with the passing. The passing numbers just do not look good the last two weeks. And he has more tackles on the season than he does passing touchdowns, which is never a great sign. What do you think has been the difference? And I know from myself, from the outside looking in, Florida also doesn't have the receivers that I'm used to seeing Florida having. They they don't have the dynamic game-changing receivers. And and I would assume that part of that is Dan Mullen's fault and his lack of desire to recruit, which has contributed to the depth issues all across the board and why he's no longer the head coach or one of the reasons. How how much are the receivers impacting Anthony Richardson as a passer or, or how much of it is Anthony Richardson himself? I think it's a good deal of both, not to kind of cop out here. I think that Richardson can improve when it comes to his ball placement, his accuracy, his mechanics on his throws. I mean, it's the guy, because of how willing he is to escape the pocket, use his feet to his advantage, you can kind of get a situation where he doesn't set his feet enough as he makes the throw. And as you guys know, that can lead to, I think, some errant balls that just miss the mark, whether it's by six inches or a couple of feet, that can lead to that. He also is, I think, a little bit too prone to trusting his arm strength. I mean, you guys have seen 
those clips when he and Hendon Hooker were out there at the Manning Passing Academy. Richardson threw a 77-yard pass. He told Tim Tebow a couple weeks ago he thinks he can throw an 80-yarder. That's all fine and dandy, but you need to be able to place the ball correctly so your receiver can get it. And there aren't many situations where a quarterback is being tasked with throwing it 77 yards downfield, right? So for Richardson, he needs to continue to find a way to maintain his arm strength, but work on his accuracy, work on his mechanics, and improve as a passer. That is, I think, one of the things that is readily apparent when it comes to Richardson right now for as dynamic of an athlete as he is. The other thing I think that, and I hate even bringing up, you know, coaching staff things in this this early into a season, right? But so much was made about Florida going out and hiring two offensive line coaches. And that I, I think that makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, the offensive line needs a lot of work and it's of critical importance to your team's success. But as a result, the Gators don't have a quarterback's coach on the roster. Billy Napier's, I think, the sole guy. I mean, there's some outside quarterback coaches that Richardson has worked with, but they don't have a quarterback's coach on the roster leading his development. It's Billy Napier who is in charge of that and overseeing the development with Richardson as well as serving as primary play caller. Then you factor in the wide receiver room right now, which, you know, Justin Shorter, former five-star guy, comes back for his final season and, you know, still has, I think, a great deal to work on, but has a great frame. And I think if you saw in that USF game, he's able to just go up and get it even when the pass isn't on the money. And they need to find, I think, a way to maximize and capitalize on what Shorter can do. But Florida's primary wide receiver has not been healthy enough and on campus enough to really have developed a rapport with Richardson whatsoever. That's my final point. Ricky Pearsall, who transferred from Arizona State, arrived in the summer, and then he missed more than two weeks of fall camp with a pair of bone bruises on his left foot. It's kind of impacted his mobility for the first you know, four or five weeks of the season and um, preseason into the season, excuse me. And now he's, I just kind of think, rounding into form, but he still was only targeted twice against the Bulls. They're going to need to, I think, continue working on timing and finding a way to get that guy involved because he's too much of a talent to only give him two targets a game. And this Florida passing attack needs to find guys who are able to, you know, make up for Richardson's current issues right now as a quarterback so that they can still have some success in the throwing game. And why do you think he's not running as much? I mean, he was awesome running the football against Utah. I know there's been some talk uh, about himself maybe not being 100% healthy after uh, a hit early in the Kentucky game. Do you think that's the reason? I I know there's also been a conversation about the quarterback depth and and not really having a a true backup uh, behind him because the the Ohio State transfer, Jack Miller, uh, is coming back from thumb surgery, I believe. Uh, Do you think it's – those two things, because I, I listened to Cole Kubelik this week say that he only saw one designed run against USF with Anthony Richardson and that freak of an athlete, and that just doesn't make a ton of sense to me. And, and if I'm Tennessee, if I'm Tim Banks, Tennessee's defensive coordinator, the one thing keeping me up at night this week is containing Anthony Richardson in the pocket. I, I think that is honestly going to be the key to the game, is if, if Tennessee can bottle up Anthony Richardson like Kentucky and USF have done the past two weeks. So why do you think Anthony Richardson is not running as much as it looked like he was going to do this season when he was running all over Utah? Possibly Florida looked to get Richardson some in-game reps against USF so he could improve on one of his shortcomings, which is 
dropping back to pass and making the throw when the defense is dropping seven, eight guys in the coverage and forces you to make a throw. I think that there could have been a little bit of maybe overzealousness, overconfidence in a way that Florida thought that they didn't have to run Richardson against the Bulls and not risk any injury or him taking even another hit, which to your point, he did take a hit against Kentucky late in that game. And I think some people saw that clip of him coming up after the tackle, getting hit in the knee, limping. And he said after that game that he's been in the training room, getting training for that hit since Kentucky, managing the pain. He said he stopped short, excuse me, of saying that he felt it limited him overall in terms of what he could do. But I think that it has led Florida to be cautious with him, right? Jack Miller, as you mentioned, still working his way back from some avulsion fracture that he suffered um, in the second week of preseason camp. And then after him, they don't have a healthy quarterback who has ever taken a snap in a game. A pair of walk-ons in Jack Engel and, and, uh, and Anders, excuse me, Kyle Engel and, and Jack Anders, and Max Brown, the freshman who only started playing quarterback in, in his you know end of his sophomore year of high school and still has some mechanical stuff to work on as well. The current backup right now is a familiar name, I think, to a lot of people. It's Jalen Kitna, the son of NFL quarterback John Kitna. He still a work in progress, but really has come on a lot these past couple of weeks, especially this past week. Had his best week of practice this last week now that he's the primary backup. And while I don't think you'll see him in the game, maybe he's improved to a place where Florida doesn't think that they need to be timid and hold Richardson back if that is what they're doing, knowing that they have a backup in Kitna who, if Richardson exits for a series or, you know, God forbid, a couple of couple of quarters or games, you know, they have a guy in Kitna who's able to steady the offense in the time before Miller gets back. But let's just make no mistake about it. Richardson, for all his faults, I think still has the highest ceiling of Florida's quarterbacks, and they would love to – you know, have him out there for the entirety of the game as long as he's able to stay healthy and remain effective. We got a lot more to discuss because there's a few things. First, I think uh, Graham accidentally saying Jack Daniel the week that, that Florida's playing Tennessee might be a bit of a uh, you know su- subliminal kind of thing there, just sort of a inside your head <laughs> thing. So so that that could be uh, the case there. But but there's lots more to discuss there because there, I think there's still a lot of meat on the bone here. This is a really really fascinating game for a lot of reasons. But we're overdue for a commercial break, so we're going to step away for just a second, pay some bills, listen to products, services, in-house ads, etc., and then we will pick this conversation right back up here on the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Hashtag ad. Money! Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. 
Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash rs10 today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Welcome back to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products, services, and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago. During that commercial break, Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio. Ben McKee coming to you from his house, which we've de- determined uh, one of our uh, wonderful subscribers on GoBoss 24-7 said that naming it Ben's Puberty Palace would be good, but Ben is, has uh, put the kibosh on that one, which he has the right to do. So we're not going to call it that. We're going to find something else to call it. Also down in uh, Gainesville where we got Graham Hall from Swamp 24-7 talking Tennessee, Florida, the Vols and Gators playing at 3.30 p.m. Eastern uh, Saturday afternoon right here on Saturday on, on CBS which is of course the greatest network that, that has ever been invented in the history of, uh, of broadcasting. So lots and lots to discuss about this. We're going to get right back to to the interview. Before we do that though, uh, just a quick suggestion quick quick request from our end guys. If you could take about a, a minute out of your day right now, maybe 60, 75 90 seconds tops go in there and subscribe and rate and review this podcast that would help us out tremendously if you're just listening on the website we love you there's nothing wrong with that no wrong way to consume this podcast but what helps us out the most is if you go on there and uh, apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, iheart TuneIn, stitcher anywhere in the world you can cast the fine pod you can find this go vols 24 7 podcast we do this for free and we're happy to do it labor of love no complaints very few complaints from our end uh, but since we're doing this for free, I don't think it's too much to ask to go in there and rate and review and subscribe and tell your friends. Tell people that you see, uh, you know, you play golf with people, you work with people, you know, you, you see them at church, you see them around town. Uh, and if even if you don't have friends, just people around you wearing Tennessee clothing, be like, hey, uh, you look like a Tennessee fan. I wish you were my friend because I don't have any friends. But but will you be my friend and will you listen to the Go Boss 24-7 podcast? So if you're doing all those things, thank you. We love you. If not, I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Guys, back to the football. Graham, I have an interesting question because I, I think it, it, there's so many things about this week that feel kind of bizarro world, right, with Tennessee being a 10.5-point favorite and, and just the, the way that Florida under Napier is kind of transitioning to things and how quickly things have kind of gotten to a pretty decent place for Tennessee under, under Heupel. But there was a question this week that, that uh, and I'm not sure who asked it. You might, you might know. You were probably down there. Uh, but Billy Napier was asked if he was going to basically sit on the ball at times in the game and try to buy time and, and to keep his defense from kind of being out there too much against Tennessee's offense, which is that really fast-paced tempo thing. 
And it just seems so weird to me to think about that's something that a Florida would do against a Tennessee. But, you know, you got to go the right horse for the right course, right? And, and this week that might be something Florida needs to do. I think it's certainly possible, and it's something that Billy Napier is, I think, accustomed to doing. You know, this is someone who, and maybe it's to a lot of people's ire, but he really doesn't at a high rate blow out opponents right? You go back to his last year at Louisiana. I mean, they were 0-6 in games that they were favored by double digits that they ended up winning by one possession. If that was confusing, I'm sorry. But Florida, you know, against USF, it just reminded me of that stat that, you know, they were favored by 24 points and Florida squeaks out a three-point victory. Billy Napier is often accustomed to slowing the tempo down with the lead, running the ball in the second half, making the other team get a little bit antsy and resting your defense so that you can play a high amount of starters, which this Florida team has to do until late in the game. So I think that it's certainly possible that we see Florida, if they have a lead here by some chance in the second half, guys, try and eat up seven, eight minutes of game clock, knowing that they have three very, very capable rushers, a quarterback who is able to extend plays in theory with his legs. I would not be shocked to see that rather than Florida trying to score quickly and, and add to their lead and then give the ball right back to a Tennessee offense that is high-powered and averaging 52 points per game coming into this game. That, that really wouldn't make too much sense to me to see Florida do that. So I would expect them to try and slow down Tennessee on offense. And then when they have the ball, try and use up some clock to keep Tennessee's offense off the field and subsequently get that defense rested up, knowing that the pace of play they are going to face is going to be, you know, exhaustive at times. But, you know, that's why I'm sitting here saying it rather than on the field coaching it, because it is easier said than done. I mean, being able to control the clock against an offense like this on the road is you know, a tall task, gentlemen. Uh, Graham, one of the underlying storylines is that Florida has a backup right tackle uh, in, in Austin Barber because Michael Tarkin uh, is out due to injury. Uh, Barber, redshirt freshman. And I think that'll be a really interesting matchup because I, I would imagine from Tennessee's perspective, he'll be matched up with Byron Young uh, for a good chunk of the game, if not all the game. And Byron Young, obviously Tennessee's best edge rusher. What have been your impressions of Barber, Austin Barber, so far this season and, and how he's done filling in? I guess Tarkin went down in the Kentucky game, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, how, how has the backup done filling in for him? Yeah, Michael Tarkin went down in the first quarter, just played, I think, 16 snaps against Kentucky in, in the seven-quarter sense. It's been Austin Barber there. That is actually, you know, no injury is ever fortunate, right? But if there's any injury where Florida could have afforded a starter to go down, it was probably at right tackle, right? I mean, this is a guy that Billy Napier singled out, Austin Barber, prior to the Utah game. He came out and said, Austin Barber, we consider to be a starter, even if he's not a starter. And that, I think, says a lot about someone's capabilities, especially when you look at this Florida offensive line that returns three starters from last year's team. 
got Osiris Torrance in the transfer portal at right guard, and he's been tremendous. And then Michael Tarquin was a fourth-year guy who got some starts at the end of the year. For Barber to work his way up to that status, being the least experienced of those guys, knowing that he came in, you know, right around COVID and has worked his way to to get in really, really good shape and improve his technique. I mean, I think that that kind of indicated that he was right there on the cusp of, of being able to do what Tarquin did and start. And that brings me to my point. I mean, since Tarquin went down, Florida has not missed a beat at right tackle. No offense to Tarquin, but I think you could say that Austin Barber is a comparable talent to him right now. Um, really the one issue with Barber's play was a, a penalty that he got against USF, but otherwise he played fantastic against the Bulls. And, and I would not be surprised to see that continue um, against Tennessee unless, you know, Byron Young has <laughs> something to say about that, of course. But of the aspects that Florida is dealing with in terms of an injury standpoint, it, it kind of pales in comparison to Ventrell Miller. And it brings me to something that I've kind of said to a lot of people is that if Florida really – struggles on offense with Richardson it'll be really unfortunate because you could make a case that this is the best offensive line that has been in Gainesville since the Urban Meyer era and to not have a quarterback take full advantage of that I think would just be a little bit that'd be pretty disappointing right yeah it, it, it probably it, it would be I think there, there's no question about that but but I, I I'm wondering Graham about sort of Florida's headspace right now. I know that, that access to programs is, is just, generally speaking, not what it has been in the past. I know that, you know, a lot of us, you know, we've been doing this for a while. You know, we you know, still got sources. You can figure out what's going on in a team. But in terms of just being around the practices as much, being around the players and coaches as much, it's just not something that, that, that we get, generally, broadly speaking, uh, you know, it, as SEC media than we used two years ago. So what I'm asking here might might be a difficult question to answer, uh, so apologies for that. But one thing that, that Tennessee about Tennessee and Florida about this series, there have been years, even the year where Florida like won four games, it beat Tennessee, right? Like like there are there are just there's just a headspace Florida gets into for this series that it's almost like they conjure up the memories of Florida of old when they play Tennessee because that swagger is there, that confidence is there. And I even – I forget which which defender it was this week was asked about, you know, what their plan was. And he was like, oh, we got a good plan for Hendon Hooker. I'm not going to talk about it much, but we got a good plan. And that just made me think of like, you know what? Why would Florida have any reason to really seriously be worried about anything going into this game? Um, because for years it's been Florida – expecting to beat Tennessee and Tennessee hoping to beat Florida. And I'm wondering if um, being a double-digit dog in this game, some struggles around Gainesville right now, if that has changed that calculus? Or, or do you think Florida is going to see those power T helmets and be like, oh, we, we kick these guys' ass every year. Why is this going to be different? What, what what do you think is the is the deal there? It's a good question. I think that you could make the argument that the streak would, you know, cause a little bit of pressure right because you you know even like you said the four win teams have been able to do that and you don't want to be just the second in in 18 years to to lose to an sec eastern division rival especially you know two weeks after losing to an sec east opponent in kentucky at home you know that would kind of pretty much end your hopes however you know irrational i guess they were of making 
you know, the SEC championship. So, but it also would just be a blemish for the Florida program. So maybe you could make the argument that there's that pressure, but I kind of see it a little bit differently. You know, Florida has been humbled the past two weeks. They are not expected to win this game. And you just saw, I think, what the flip side was. When Florida was expected to handedly beat an opponent, they didn't do it. Now there's really not much pressure on Florida to win this game outside of history, right? I mean, the Volunteers are the largest favorite that they've been in, in what, 45 years coming into this game. Mm -hmm. Ten and a half points. They are not the, you know, Tennessee's the undefeated team. They're playing at home in front of their fans, and they're playing for two decades. Some people would say three. I'm not that mean. But two decades of Tennessee players before them that didn't get the job done and now are kind of counting on these guys to perform and be the team to do that and to play for something bigger than themselves. And for Florida, they're really not, I think, caring too much about continuing the dominance because of how many current problems they have on the roster. They're more focused on Richardson's improvement, replacing Ventrell Miller, cleaning up the mistakes, having some explosion in the throw game, rather than necessarily, I think, beating Tennessee in a year where all the factors are in Tennessee's favor, right? So I think when you can kind of play freely like that and just go back to focusing on the game rather than playing for something bigger than yourself, whether it's Tennessee or Florida, whichever team I think is able to do that and not focus so much on the context and the storyline, I think they will have the best chance in this game because a lot of, a lot of this, I think, just kind of boils down to which team is, is able to just go out there and play their game. If Richardson's able to play the way that he was against Utah and Florida's able to compete defensively the way they were for those first seven quarters, I mean, like you guys said, this is a very, very solid Florida team. If they're able to put that all together and just focus on playing their game, I mean, that's all Tennessee can be focused on is stopping a Florida team that has some potency. So it's whichever team is caught up in playing for something bigger than themselves, I, I'm, I get the feeling of it's going to be to that program's detriment on Saturday. Last thing I've got for you, Graham, is about the running game on each side of the ball. I've been very impressed by Florida's back, especially uh, the Louisiana transfer. He's looked really, 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 really good. Uh, and, and then on the flip side, Florida's ability to, to stop Hendon Hooker. I'm very curious to see if, if Tennessee does – some more designed runs with Hendon Hooker this game, especially after Gary Bohannon of USF was able to have some success against Florida last week. I, I think the running game both ways, uh, in addition to, to Tennessee trying to bottle up Anthony Richardson, is, is going to determine the game. So what is your confidence level on, on each side of the ball that Florida can come in the Neyland Stadium and run the football, but also on the flip side, and I know there's some questions there with Ventrell Miller being out, but their ability to stop the run as well and, and potentially have more success bottling up Hendon Hooker than they did Gary Bohannon last week. Yeah, a ton of respect for Tennessee's front seven, especially. I mean, tons of talent among that group. You guys know that. I mean, Byron Young, Jeremy Banks, those guys are the household names, but a lot of talent around them, certainly, and some promising young players. Uh, you know, for Florida – I think that that by committee approach at running back, that's something a lot of teams do, right? But for them, I think they may need to trim that a little bit to have their most success because you look at the way that their skill weapons have been used. You look at Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne, the freshman and the sophomore, who have had the most success in the backfield. 
And then you look at the lack of production from the wide receivers. I mean, maybe you need to get two running backs on the field and, and line one up and send one out and then see what you can do with two guys on the field who can make guys miss in the open field because Florida's wide receivers aren't really doing that right now. So I think the running backs will be of great importance to Florida's chances of success. And like I said, not even just in the backfield, but they're going to have to give it to Montrell Johnson more than he got in those first couple of games. And maybe they didn't want to run him too much against the Bulls. Felt like they didn't need to, like I said, but that guy had the longest yard of the season against USF and he barely played for, for the next quarter and a half. And, you have to get him in the game. And Trevor Etienne against Utah was just so dynamic in the open field, bouncing off guys, seeing the hole, hitting the hole, identifying and being patient as a runner. I mean, ahead of where he should be as a freshman. And I think Billy Napier needs to put those stereotypes aside about playing the older guy and get his best weapons on the field and put them in a success, a place to be successful against this volunteers team. And, you know, for Florida's ability to stop the run, that is a huge question, though. You know, coming off of giving up 300 yards to the Bulls, and well, Hannon really, I didn't even think was that great, but give Brian Batty a whole lot of credit. That stable, those stable of backs were able to get outside, make guys miss in the open field. Florida has had trouble correctly filling its gaps this season. Um, I mean, teams are able to create those gaps, and the linebackers aren't filling them correctly or they're biting on that and then getting beat by tight ends downfield. That needs to improve for Florida, or they are going to get ran all over by the volunteers, whether it's Hooker. I don't know if, if Jabari's going to end up playing. You guys would probably have a better sense of that than me. Coin but flip. someone mm-hmm. is going to – yeah, yeah, someone's going to carve Florida up. I mean, unless Shamar James, Scooby Williams step up, unless Florida can get pressure with that three-man rush and then bring some backs, I think that they absolutely – are going to get gashed by this Tennessee offense. And then if they can establish the run, it's kind of game over for Hooker, right? I mean, he does so well when Tennessee has a running game complementing him. He's so efficient, understanding of the system, moves quickly, beats you before you even have a time to react. And I think that it all kind of starts with them being able to establish the run. Otherwise, if Tennessee has a lack of success in the run game and gets into obvious passing downs and the Gators can drop, eight guys in the coverage when this three, three, five and Brenton Cox can disguise the rush and where it's coming from. I like, you know, Florida's chances of maybe causing some issues in the second and third level for Tennessee's wide receivers and, and getting some takeaways, but it kind of starts with stopping the run and without Ventral Miller, I'm not very confident that they're going to be able to do that at a high rate on Saturday. That's an interesting matchup because Tennessee might have two healthy scholarship running backs. So I think Hendon Hooker is going to have to is going to have to run regardless. And and the final thing I've I've got, Graham, before we let you go here, and, and again, just thanks a million uh, for being here, is that you know I think by this point, people who have read the, our website know that that you are at least leaning toward picking Tennessee to to win this ball game. So I got a couple questions. One. Uh, you know, is that still what you're sticking with? Do you expect Tennessee or what, to win this game? What do you think the score will be? And the second thing would be, if you are picking Tennessee to win this game, what can Florida do to make that not happen? What can Florida do, uh, maybe the one or two most important things, to win this game? Yeah, I hope no Tennessee fans blame me as being the jinx here. I hope you guys got that covered for me. But I am picking Tennessee to win this game by double digits too. Uh, I think I'm going 41-20 right now. I could see that change leading up to the game. 
especially it could change if Ventro Miller is able to play through the pain and starts in that game. I don't know if he plays an abundance of snaps, but if he's able to play, I do think that it becomes a, a little bit more narrow in that result. But I do still favor the volunteers. I mean, Hendon Hooker has it all figured out right now. He's experienced. He's an older quarterback. He's been in the system for two years. This is his fifth year of college football. I mean, it's hard to see a way that Florida's defense, knowing what they just struggled with the last five quarters, it's tough to see a way for them to to get him off of his game. I do think that they have a chance of creating some takeovers, some, some takeaways, excuse me, some turnovers. If they can do that against Tennessee, then then I do think that, you know, there is a chance that they could win that game. But they're going to need to force some fumbles, pick off Hooker, uh, maybe even create something on special teams because it's going to take more than just Florida's offense, at least from what we've seen through three games, to be able to make a huge difference in, in this game for Florida. Um, that's the way that I see Florida being able to possibly do it. And the other way is I kind of what I mentioned, you know, Tennessee needs to be focused on just the game itself, not playing for every one of the past 17 years, not thinking, oh, this is a revenge game. This, this should just kind of be business as usual for Tennessee, right? This is not the toughest team that they'll have faced in the first month of the schedule, in my opinion. I think that you could give Pittsburgh that nod right now. They're playing in front of a sold-out home crowd, team that humbled them last year, in a sense, before everything came undone for Florida. For, for Florida to lose this game, I mean, it would take, I think, a, a monumental performance by um, – for Tennessee to lose this game, excuse me, it would take a monumental performance – by Florida or an epic collapse by the volunteers. And, and I think that they can avoid the latter if they can just focus on how dominant they really are and just play their game. Yeah, I would say that any calculus I have uh, in this game for a Florida win includes a non-offensive touchdown, uh, def- defense, special teams. One of those doing that, of course, Tennessee's had one punt blocked, almost another punt blocked. So the, 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 the Florida's always got some athletes in the return game. Those, those things are possible. And then you know, can Florida hang in there at the start? Because if, if Florida can hang in there, then Tennessee, that crowd, that's where the Tennessee-Florida effect comes into play, I think, if Tennessee gets off to a kind of a slow start or Florida makes a run. Then I think the crowd gets a little nervous, a little tight, and that can kind of tr- trickle its way down to the field. So lots and lots of things about this game that are really, really interesting. Graham, I really, really appreciate you being here with us. Uh, safe travels up here. And before you leave, please tell everyone how they can read your stuff. Hey, it was awesome being here. Thanks for having me, guys. Always a pleasure to talk all things Florida, especially a chance to talk about this great SEC East Division rivalry. Uh, you can read me at swamp247247sports.com slash college slash Florida. And you can find me on Twitter at Graham Hall underscore. We do podcasts, daily content, a ton of stuff, all things Florida Gators, and a lovely message board. So make sure to check it all out. We love doing it, and we love the support from you all. So Great being here, guys. I'm looking forward to the drive, and I'm looking most forward to I'm surprised that we're just now getting to this, but we got to say it. I'm looking forward to some great fall weather here. I'm packing some long pants. I'm ready to escape the humidity, seeing that it's going to be a low of 50s. Oh, guys, yeah, it, I can't it, wait it, for it. That came just in time because it's been in the 90s the past few days here, and now it's going down just in time for, for Florida to come in. So that's uh, – I don't know if, if, if they can see the leaves uh, changing, but uh, nonetheless, it – it uh, it should be good. So, man, certainly appreciate you being here. Thank, man, thanks, and just safe travels, and we'll see you when you get up here. Thanks, guys. Looking forward to it. Thanks, buddy. There's that button. And now I can say 
Thank you for listening to this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Guys, thank you. Thank you for listening. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. You can also go uh, to twitter.com slash govals247 and facebook.com slash govals247 to get all of the stuff there or most of the stuff there. We got stuff on there that we update throughout the day, all day, every day, tons of stuff on there, all good stuff. But if you want that best, most delicious, that sparkling, delicious, crystal clear East Tennessee Smoky Mountain Spring Water right from the tap. Go directly to GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets to get coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball coverage. We cover Tennessee baseball better than anybody out there. We got that for you. We got Lady Vols coverage with award-winning Maria Cornelius, who covers all things Lady Vols for us. You also get administration news. Basically, anytime anything happens over there at the University of Tennessee, we bring it to you at GoVols247.com. We also have two forums that run around the clock, the Checkerboard and the Summit, where you can go and discuss uh, anything you want that is not political or religious in nature, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we will be there to discuss it with you. Just about one of us is up just about all the time, at least, so you can go in there and do that. And you can get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month, and that's after a free trial, and that's always. A lot of times we have better deals than that, but at least we have the seven-day free trial, and then you can start paying us. And when you start paying us, again, which is less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month, if you do that, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, which is the streaming arm of CBS, Viacom, Paramount, all of it. Get all of it right there. And it's, I mean, you got stuff, brand new movies, exclusive movies, exclusive shows. You get stuff from the vaults of uh, Smithsonian, Nickelodeon, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, all of it. And obviously everything CBS has ever done commercial free. That's a $100 plus annual value that we'll put in your pocket for nothing. For nothing. So we're giving you several hundred dollars worth of stuff for less than 100 bucks a year. Guys, that is an unbelievable deal. So please, this is a great time. Go take advantage of that now. Uh, if you haven't heard from us uh, from a couple days, there's been a problem. We should be back here uh, in, in a couple days or so. You'll hear from us very, very shortly. Until then, guys, be good to each other. Be decent to each other. Please, there's not nearly enough of that in our world anymore. God, we are so mean to each other. Have some basic human empathy. Allow people their dignity. Try to be kind. Be good to each other. Until then, be good, guys. See you. Where's Wes at? He already put my comments out there, so (laughs) he had direct quotes. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.